0: call right now from the spinosaurus uh, Mr. Spinosaurus how was it on the set of Jurassic Park 3 uh, Craft craft sur- <laughs> the craft services was craft services was awful they uh, they didn't have the bagels they promised i wanted poppy seed but all they had was a multigrain thank you spinosaurus
1: i would think he would want a bagel with lox cuz it's it's fish and the spinosaurus uh, supposedly ate a lot of seafood I
0: guess. oh yeah
2: after the credits roll, Sales are doing really well from shock treatment to Jason
1: X to Paris Academy 6. This is sequel cast,
2: and they are unsurpassed at following the franchise until the bitter end. This is sequel cast, and your hosts of asked that I inform you.
0: The theme song to the sequel cast is performed and written by Mark with the Sea. Check out his latest album, Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting, at markwiththeC.bandcamp.com. And now we return to the sequel cast. Not. No, 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 no wait, wait, something's not right. I help him. Oh, man, no. <laughs> Hold on. Oh. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to the sequel cast. The sequel cast is a show that talks about movies in a franchise one movie at a time. Uh, I'm your host, Matt. Um, We have a website at sequelcast.com where you can check out our past episodes. But uh, right now, we're wrapping up our look at the uh, Jurassic Park trilogy with uh, the most recent film in the series so far, Jurassic Park 3, released in uh, 2001, uh, directed by Joe Johnston, who also directed the recent uh, movie Captain America, as well as stuff like um, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and um, The Rocketeer. Uh, written by Peter uh, Bookman, Alexander Payne, Jim Taylor, based on characters created by Michael Crichton. the stars Sam Neill, Laura Dern, William H. Macy, Tia Leone. And uh, has music by Don Davis, using uh, musical themes originally by John Williams. Um, this movie, uh, based on Box Office Mojo, had a budget of $93 million and worldwide made $368 million. Uh, So still very, very popular. Uh, With me is Thrasher.
1: Howdy, everybody. Orin Raptor.
0: Yeah, no, the raptors, uh, communicating with each other is a big part of this one. Um, and Jurassic Park 3, you know, it it came out in 2001 and the Lost World. The movie came out in, uh... 97, so that's like a four-year gap. So, pretty big gap. I guess it's been about four years between each of the sequels. I mean, I can't say I was really aching for a Jurassic Park 3 when it came out. Um, did you get to see this in theaters, Thresher?
1: Sadly, sadly I didn't. I was... Uh, 2001, I was kind of burned out. I I had been very disappointed by the Star Wars prequels released at that point, and I was... I, I was pretty burned out on trilogies by that point, so when I saw the Jurassic Park three was coming out, I decided that I would stay away from it that summer. Although I gotta say, I do applaud them for taking their time on these sequels. I like that they're not cranked out the next summer. I like that there is. I like that there's a bit of a wait. You know, had the movie come out a year later, I might have actually seen it in the theater. I might have been over my uh, over my
0: thing. Right. Um, yeah, that reminds me of uh, Jackie Chan. Came out with a uh, autobiography, I think, simply called like "I Am Jackie" or something. And in it, he talks about with sequels you have to wait a few years, otherwise they're called "no goods," as he called as he calls them. Uh, which I think is true. I think you can spend more time developing it, uh, get a better story, get you know, work in the special effects, kind of let the audience anticipation. Uh, kind of grow a bit instead of slowly burning them out, coming out with the movie year after year, which they've been able to do rapid fire literally with things like the Saw franchise and a paranormal mm-hmm. activity, and um, with the recent horror films in particular, they're really able to crank those out pretty fast. But I think Scary Movie 2 like came out one year after Scary Movie 1, I believe. I, I believe you're right. Yeah, so... Um, those used to come out
1: like clockwork, actually.
0: Yeah, and there's supposed to be a scary movie five in the works, but who knows? It's it's kind of
1: like Hollywood has now progressed from being a cookie cutter to being an assembly line in a sweatshop.
0: Now, like a bit of trivia, this before we start talking about the movie, Joe Johnston, uh, who directed this, you know, was originally supposed to direct the Lost World Jurassic Park, the second one, but then Spielberg wanted to do it. Um, apparently, Steven Spielberg got close to make to directing uh, Jurassic Park three he wanted to do it as a co-production between Universal Studios and uh, his new film studio at the time, DreamWorks, mm-hmm. and they weren't able to work something like that out, so Spielberg was just a, a producer on this one. they still very much involved. Um, the script for this was rewritten as they were shooting the film. Um, apparently, the setup for the film originally had uh, Alan Grant, played by Sam Neill, and, uh, and had basically all the adults on one helicopter all the kid, like a bunch of kids on another helicopter and they got like split up and they got split up and they had to sort of find each other and it was like a different setup and had a lot more children characters and they decided to sort of streamline cut down the amount of characters and simplify things and i would say if you were to describe Jurassic park three with one word it would be streamlined and that compared to uh the second one lost world uh, which is very laborious with the lo- or i found it laborious With a lot of characters, with a lot of plots going around. This one is like, hey, 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 you know, we got these characters uh, on this island with a bunch of dinosaurs, and uh, they just got to try and survive. You don't have any corporate bad guys in this one. Like, uh, you know, whether it's Nedry or whether it's uh, John Hammond's nephew, I think, in the second film. For the most part, it's very much a man versus dinosaur kind of story.
1: And the dinosaurs rack up a couple of victories. There are there are some notable deaths.
0: Yeah, and um, and there's also a few scenes in this. Not that I'm so familiar with the books, but I guess they took some scenes from uh, the Jurassic Park and Lost World book and have them in this film in slightly different context. So that's interesting. If you enjoyed the, some of the original novels, um, well, that was
1: that was one thing that I was always like. When, growing up, my favorite prehistoric uh, animal was the pterodactyl, mm-hmm. and I was always upset that in both Jurassic Park and The Lost World, I never got a, I never got to see pterodactyls doing pterodactyl things. That was the one thing missing from the prehistoric experience I felt, and that's one thing that this film ha- ha- finally has. We get to see the aviary where they were keeping the pterodons, and we get to see we get to see some real pterodactyl action.
0: But yeah, I guess we can move on to uh the plot for this one in that, um you start off you have the, the kid in the movie, Eric, and he's with his mom's boyfriend, and they're parasailing, you know, off the coast of Isla Sorna, which is the island from the second film.
1: Now, right off the bat, I I like that I like that the boyfriend goes on vacation but takes the kid and not the woman he's dating.
0: I think, you know, they wanted him to have kind of like a a boys' day out for the kid's birthday. Maybe let the boyfriend and her son bond a bit more. Involving but, an unsupervised trip to South America. Yeah, it is kind of weird. And uh, I'm trying to remember what it says on the parasailing trip. It's like some dumb pun.
1: Well, I do know. Um, I do know that um, uh, yeah, when the- when the parasail is used to to escape the pterodons, it has this big logo on it, Dinosaur.
0: That's what I was thinking, yeah, I know, that's the same one from the beginning of the film. Yeah. So, so mean, do you think
1: that's an unfortunate coincidence, or are they or are they no, billing I, it as the
0: parasailing
1: adventure where you get to go by the dinosaur hell island?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, it's like the, the Costa Rican government doesn't let you go in these Jurassic Park islands, but you can do this, uh, apparently parasailing off the coast is okay, and you might, you know, get a, a glimpse of a few dinosaurs here and there. Like, It certainly seems dangerous, and uh, the public has to know. A lot of people died on these islands. You, you think they? You think Isla Sorna would get nuked into the ground? Because um, apparently, the stuff in the first, the island from the first film, and I don't recall what that island was called. You know, they sort of like cleared a lot of stuff off that that island, or at least they implied it in the second film. And um, but but this movie, Jurassic Park Three, is filmed more in Hawaii. Where the lost world a lot of it was filmed in uh California, uh so I think visually this one looks a lot more like the first film. You have a lot of scenes in broad daylight, a lot more of the uh lush uh scenery I think the, than the jungle primeval yeah, the jungle primeval uh, other than like the wood, the forest and the darkness kind of feel you got from the second film. Do you agree with that No actually, I do it, it really it, it feels really more feels... like a Jurassic Park. Well, yeah, it, it,
1: but it feels like more of a replica of a prehistoric ecosystem as well. Like, it seems more like an environment where dinosaurs could really flourish.
0: Yeah. And, um, I mean, so at this beginning, the the kid and the mom's boyfriend are, are parasailing. And the weather gets a bit iffy. The boat that the parasail is attached to, you know, crashes, so they have to cut free. And then you kind of, you don't see the kid until, like, maybe an hour into the movie. Like, it's something they let go for a while and kind of build up with the plot. But you go back to Alan Grant, who's talking to um, Ellie Sattler, and, of course, they're played by the same people in the first film, um, Sam Neill and uh, Laura Dern. And I was glad,
1: I was actually glad to see them back.
0: Yeah, no, it's nice to see her back. She's not in the film so much, and she has a kid that presumably was not with Alan Grant, but he still likes her, I guess. Is something that come, comes across in some of the dialogue. And it's a funny sort of take on the scene from the first film where he's telling a, a fat kid, you know, oh, these, these dinosaurs are really angry. This is sort of a flip side where he's telling uh, the son of this uh, woman he really cares about about the technical things about dinosaurs, but he's, he has a lot more of a softer touch. Um, so... I think that's interesting. You know. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, what
1: do you think? So, of, but, but anyway, they, they have yeah. to arrange an expedition to go to the island to rescue their son. Well, right. Well, not... Well, with William H. Macy's son. Yeah,
0: there, there's a family called the Kirby's uh, that have been divorced. It doesn't say for how long, but I think it, it comes across as fairly recently or the the husband is played by uh, William H. Macy, Paul, and uh, the ex-wife, Amanda, is played by Tia Leone, who uh, she used to be the wife of uh, David Duchovny in real life, but they've gotten uh, divorced since then, in uh, modern times. Um, And, yeah, they basically, uh, sort of like what John Hammond does in the first film, they give uh, Dr. Grant an offer to go back to... uh, jurassic park although it's a different island it's the island from the second film not the one from the first film and that they just they really want to they they pitch it as oh we really want to go on this uh you know family vacation we want to sightsee we've been all around the world seeing the best stuff possible and uh so we want you to show us what's happening because you really know what goes on on these islands and they give him like enough money to fund his expedition for the next few years. He he whoops out a blank check and says, "How much do you need to agree to this?" And uh, I know there's a lot of callbacks in this film to the first film. Um, how do you well, think you know, that that setup though is something that jumps jumps out at me? Uh huh. That it
1: that they have they have to lie to get to get this ex to get Grant signed on to be a guide for this exp, expedition. You would. I, I feel like Grant, Grant has a certain sense of decency and, and, and morality you'd think they could just say we think our son is lost on this island if there's any chance that he survived we'll need you as a guide to get him back you're a, you're, you're a family man you have a child you know what it's like
0: well he doesn't have a child but yeah well, I mean
1: he's a, guy, he, he's a person that knows what dinosaurs will do to children if they get a chance <laughs> you think you care about rescuing one
0: right that's uh, that's very true and I was moving a cat out of the way there. is uh, the cat, if anyone's listening, which no one is. Um, is that right. a, cat a mascot? No. No mascot okay. for the sequel cast, but we do have a, a new theme song that debuted yes, recently, awesome. written and performed by a Mark with a C, uh, which, is, which is great. We greatly appreciate that. And um, you can check out some of his other music or all of his other music at uh, Com. And um, his latest album is called "Motherfuckers Be Bullshitting," so that earns our explicit tag for the episode right off the top. Uh,
1: all right, <laughs> that means I can use uh, any other words that I want from this point on, right?
0: Yes. Well, that's always been the sequel cast has been uh, featured mature language at least in most of the episodes. I wouldn't say all of them, but uh, right, Nebraska. Yeah, Nebraska. That's a that's a naughty one. Uh, Seven Back with Jurassic Park 3, you look at all this stuff in this film and the setup, and it still takes its time to get to the island. Uh, I mean, you want to talk about, you know, scenes in movies where the dialogue wasn't written. The whole scene in the bar where they convinced Grant to go with them, they had no script when they were filming that scene. And William H. Macy uh, claims he wrote the dialogue all... And him and T Leone kind of improvised... It wrote down the dialogue on the spot while they were on the set. You know, which isn't an ideal way to make a movie, but they really wanted to streamline movie, which they didn't have in the script at the time, so they had, had to kind of go for it. And uh, I think it works. Although I wish they would have used a bit more to convince Grant. Like that money would work in him initially again, because he talks about having... Uh, Earlier in the film, he gives a speech to a bunch of college students, and he talks and he mentions things about having nightmares of the velociraptors, and it seems something he's very hesitant to talk about. Um, you know, which is kind of weird that he uh, they whip out a check and he's like, "Okay, I guess I'll go with you guys to this island I hated that gives me nightmares." So uh, I think I think the nightmare
1: angle itself is 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 a, a little bit forced. I really like it, from from what we see of Neil in the first film. I, I can't imagine that he's truly that he would be truly traumatized by that experience, unless he's just going through some sort of weird evolutionary angst that that he might have to compete with raptor intelligent raptors one day.
0: Yeah, I could I could see more. You know, the Ian Malcolm, the Jeff Goldblum character having nightmares. But you're right. I think. As a guy that digs up dinosaur bones for a living, he would, I don't know, be able to handle that stuff better. It is, uh, I mean, going back to Jurassic Park 3, you know, they get on this plane where it has Alan Grant, it has uh, sort of Grant's protege, Billy... Who appears to be like in his 20s or 30s? He's still, I guess he's supposed to be in his 20s, like a college student, an intern or something, an assistant. Oh, no,
1: here, here's a question. Yeah. Is that that fat kid from the original Jurassic Park grown up?
0: Uh, it could be the fat kid from the original Jurassic Park. I, I don't think it is. but is. I'd like uh, to think it. Yeah, you'd like to think so. Maybe he gets a bit more mature and wants to learn more about the ins and outs of uh, paleontology. And uh, not only do the Kirby's uh, take Grant and his partner, Billy. Or not partner, uh, business partner. Uh, they also have three mercenaries, kind of escorting them, fly with uh, weapons and, and things, which is kind of suspicious.
1: Now, what lie do you think they told the mercenaries to get them involved, or did they just say, "We're rescuing our son. Here's cash."
0: I think that's all they did. Is enough, you know. There's an expression with enough money, you can get anyone to agree to anything. And uh, I think that's what, just, just what they did, and people took their word on it. Um, So, but you, uh, and they're only supposed to, to, per the initial agreement, they're only supposed to fly over this uh, Isla Sorna, the the island from the second film. They weren't supposed to land, but almost immediately they get ready to land, and Grant really uh, protests, he says, we can't land, you can't do this. And he gets knocked unconscious by uh, one of the mercenaries, and he wakes up and they've already landed. Um, Which that...
1: That's another thing that you know, th- 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 this, I, they're in like a standard charter jet that apparently has no trouble landing on the beach. You'd think going to an island, they'd be going, they'd be going in like a plane with pontoons or something that could, that could land on the water. I, I, actually, I honestly don't know whether that kind of jet could actually land on sand. I mean, there, really, there would be no way to, it would be really difficult to break that plane uh, coming in.
0: You know, it is revealed later that the uh, Kirby family doesn't have all the money that they claim they do. Ah,
1: so they can only afford the standard jet. That's and what I'm thinking, the, uh, right. Aquatic landing
0: jet. And they bullshit to the people, not for the actual uh, airplane they're renting for the expedition. Um, so, I mean, you have a thing where they've landed and Sam Neill is like, or uh, Alan Grant is like, oh shit, oh shit. Or, I'm on this island. And they, they do do a cute joke where they ask him, well, don't you know everything about this island? He's like, I haven't been on this island. I was on the other island. <laughs> and they're like, oh, there's more than one island. And uh, I think that's a, that's a fair point. <clears throat> Even though he still knows about dinosaurs, he's not completely useless. But uh, almost as soon as they land, you have a running joke in the movie that I don't think really works, where Tia Leone... Is shouting out the name of her son, uh, Eric, Eric, really loudly, and she even does it into a megaphone. And Sam Neill, ha- or uh, Alan Grant, has to repeatedly tell them to shut up. Don't make the noise that you'll attract dinosaurs that way.
1: And and they, and they she will ask him why she should shut up using the megaphone. It's yeah, like she's turning into Homer
0: Simpson. It, it is very cartoony, true. And um, Tia Leone. Um, what do you think about her? I, I some people find her very. Or she tends to play very obnoxious characters in certain movies, and I think the character is written to be kind of shrill and obnoxious.
1: Well, I don't know. I don't know about about shrill, but I mean she she came off as as a concerned mother, but at the same time she she kept drifting into the area of comic relief, and I I think they could have done better for her than that.
0: Yeah, I mean, they had to uh, introduce, you know, a kind of conflict between the, the ex-wife and ex-husband, you know, and, and they have to squabble a bit and, and try to develop another plot. But I mean, this movie is not focused very much on characters. It's uh, pretty much all about the action and the search for the sun and then how do they get off the island in a nutshell, which I think is to the movie's favor. It's so streamlined, you get to see the humans interact with the dinosaurs. And what else do you want in a Jurassic Park film at the end of the day? <laughs> yeah. Uh, it's almost so soon after they land, one of the mercenaries... Uh, what, I think he, like, dies or something? I mean, he doesn't
1: well, some mercenaries go go off into the into the woods. This this is like towards the tail end of the microphone hilarity scene. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the mercenaries have the mercenaries were, had gone off into the woods to do some scouting and the mercenaries come running out of the woods. We gotta get out of here, we That's gotta right. get out of here. Okay. Yeah. And they hear a noise, they go, Oh, is that a T Rex? No. It's something bigger. I don't know why Sam Neill has a Liverpool accent, but for some reason when I impersonate him he does. And so they're all, they're all running, and one of the mercenaries isn't with him, and they all get in the plane, and the plane uh, takes off, and as it's trying to take, uh, take off, the mercenary that they're missing comes running out of the woods, uh, the, the jungle ahead of them, nowhere near where the rest of the group was scouting. He's like, you got to stop and pick me up, you got to stop and pick me up. They don't. The plane, least, uh, the plane starts taking off, and then bursting out of the jungle is the real star of the movie who eats the mercenary, and that would be the Spinosaurus.
0: Right. You know, they were making a dinosaur in this one that was bigger and badder than the T-Rex. I mean, pretty soon in the film, you get a scene where the Spinosaurus kills two Tyrannosaurus Rexes.
1: Well, that was that was one thing that, that I remember about the marketing for this movie. So much of the marketing was about, we found a dinosaur more kick-ass than the T-Rex. Get ready to have your mind blown. Like... That was I remember that in the ads. I remember that being a big deal in the in, in the toys. They were, and, and admittedly, you know, I guess you know, you you've used the T Rex twice now. I can understand the the, the impulse to, to do to do another one, or to, to come, to, you know, to use a new dinosaur. And I, guess, I suppose they did choose a, a, a pretty good one, but it's sort of like w- w- when you have a predator that weighs several tons. It's really difficult to make the case that one is more badass than the other. They're both they're just they're both walls of teeth.
0: Yeah, they just had to introduce another dinosaur and make it different. Like, I never heard of a Spinosaurus before this movie, but apparently it was an actual type of dinosaur. Uh, yes,
1: it was discovered uh, in, uh, the first remains were discovered, I believe, in 1912. Okay. Uh, it just, you know, it, but it's, you know, not too many, to the best of my knowledge, anyway, not too many skeletons, uh, or fossils, I should say, fossils have been, have been found. So it is a bit obscure. I mean, T Rex is the dinosaur that gets all the name recognition and all oh, the sure. play. Yeah, but the Spinosaurus is still probably pretty badass in its own way.
0: I mean, you know, although the face of every- it is a bit like a crocodile or an alligator. It has the yeah, elongated a
1: giant, giant crocodile a giant crocodile that can walk on two legs? It has these giant uh, sort of spikes coming out of its vertebrae, uh, which in the film they depict as being part of this big fin. Although there's still debate about what those what those spikes are actually for.
0: I think the Spinosaurus looks okay. I think it looks a little bit silly. I don't think it quite...
2: But it's so
0: difficult. Like, I mean, as a kid, I grew up with, uh, you know, reading all these dinosaur books and watching, reading rainbow episodes about dinosaurs and all these things. So I'm familiar with, like, the T-Rex, the Brontosaurus, which I guess now is a Brachiosaur or called something else. But um, also maybe because it's not... I don't have the nostalgia for Spinosaurus, I guess, as for some of the other dinosaurs. Well, you know, you know, what I think
1: it is uh, is that even though this is a this what was a real organism, it looks like a made up hybrid. It looks like somebody took a T Rex body, put a gator's head on it, and uh, and a big old fin to make it look taller and more terrifying. It looks like something that would be in a Roger Corman sci fi channel movie. You know, it, it looks it does it looks yeah. like Crocodilosauragon uh, <laughs> or, or something. But no, it's an actual beast, but that that doesn't necessarily the audience doesn't necessarily immediately know that because it looks like something made up. every every now and then, the life process will throw an improbable looking creature at you. It's amazing.
0: Right. And um, you know, as it moves on from this part of the film, Uh, the Kirby's revealed themselves as like oh he's actually the William H. Macy the character is actually a plumber he owns a plumbing kind of store for plumbing equipment and uh, he's divorced they're not really married because they were kind of pretending they still were to kind of get him on board but they're saying we gotta search for their son and Sam Neill's response I think is pretty cool he's like that's fine and good but I'm just finding a way off the island you go look for your kids yourself you look for your kid yourself and um, one of the mercenaries that's with them has dialogue that's something like um, William H Macy is asking the mercenary, "Where do we go? What do we do?" And he's like, "We should look for your son, but in the same direction Alan Grant is going, <laughs> which is cute, and uh, you know, makes sense.
1: Well, you know, I like I like <laughs> what I like about William H Macy is he plays the His same mustache? kind of The same kind of every man he always plays.
0: Yeah, it's not the kind of character you'd usually see in a summer blockbuster. You don't see a mustachioed uh, plumber, I guess, unless you're watching Super Mario Brothers or something.
1: Ooh, now what if he played Mario? You get to, or, or actually, he could do a credible Luigi. He's got the body for it.
0: Well, you know, speaking of that Super Mario Brothers movie, which is too bad that doesn't have a sequel, but we talked about that on an older... Um, Sequel Cast Special episode. Oh, yeah, the one-shot, non-sequel The one-shot, special. non-sequel. Might have been the first or the second one of those we did uh, over at uh, SequelCast.com or on iTunes. You look up Sequel Cast. You can check those out. Uh, one of the people they considered casting as Mario uh, was Dustin Hoffman or Tom Hanks, which kills me. I that. Those are such bizarre uh, choices.
1: Yeah, that was Sequel Cast Special number two.
0: Number two. Very good. But, uh... Yeah, back to Jurassic Park three. Uh, yeah, no William H Macy. I I haven't seen all the movies he's done, and he's been in tons, but he he's a really good actor. You know, he does a really solid performance, and there's a real uh, earnestness to everything he does. And he's much better, I think, in this role than he should be. He doesn't have a lot to work with, but um, you know, you don't get to see schlubby middle aged guys in these movies really so that, that's kind of fun to see a sort of different character that's not an expert about anything
1: well you, you get a really good everyman out of him and that, mm-hmm. that's something that you you so often you don't see too many credible everymen in film, William H. Macy's one of the few people who pulls that off consistently
0: right even when he's being chased by the Spinosaurus even when he's being chased by this Spinosaurus. Um, so I mentioned before, there's things in this movie that remind me of the first one. You get a scene where they run across an abandoned ingen uh, laboratory, which recalls things from the first movie, where it's like an abandoned uh, place, uh, an abandoned sort of hatchery for the eggs, which looks purposely just like the one in the first film, where they look at the baby raptors and stuff. But this All the buildings a-
1: could have been prefab, for all we know, to save on cost.
0: Right, even though it's a different island, but uh, you see these kind of like broken eggs on display. You see uh, in a scene there reminds me a bit of one in Alien Resurrection, sort of these test tubes with these um, failed dinosaur fetuses in progress. And there's a oh, nice yeah. there's a nice little scare where uh, Amanda Kirby, Tina Leone's character is kinda of looking at all these with a the curiosity and one of these uh, test tubes has a real lifelike looking raptor and she gets really close to it. And it turns out there's actually a raptor on the opposite end of the of this uh, giant test tube thing that jumps out and tries to get her. And yeah, that uh, was a pretty good scare. What do you think about the raptors in this film? They look a little bit different, don't they?
1: Yeah, I like I like that they I like that they gave the raptors more personality in their design. Mm-hmm. I like that you get some some variation in. They, they look more like they look more than just like a, a big lizard. They have they have some neat sort of coloring effects on their hide. Some of them have those like little sort of pre feather quills, which which ra- some type of raptors may very well have had uh, in that sort of transitionary period between uh, dinosaurs and avians.
0: Yeah, and a big um, part for the redesign is with. Um research paleontologists did at the time. They said, oh, the raptors would have looked a bit different than how they looked in the first few films. So they incorporated that in. And I agree. I think the color is really nice. It makes the raptors pop a bit more. And uh, yet, they still look like raptors. You can still tell what they are. It's not a massive redesign. It's sort of a minor touch-up. And, uh... As they escape from the, uh, in Gen Lab you kind of get a scene where Alan Grant is kind of separated from him he's kind of surrounded by a bunch of raptors all of a sudden these gas grenades go off and uh, someone dressed up in camouflage kind of huddles him away into a secret uh, in a secret camp and it turns out this is actually Eric, the son of uh, the Paul and Amanda Kirby and he's been living for something like six weeks in uh, by himself on Jurassic Park, just surviving, collecting things like Tyrannosaurus Rex urine uh, for some reason. Well, or he uses it th- to like God, as a as a it. scent. If, if other animals smell this T Rex urine, they won't stay stay near him. Apparently, there's a lot of you know like dehydrated food and stuff stored in the InGen laboratories and buildings scattered down the island. Like he's made quite a little fort for himself in there. And he helps nurse Alan Grant back to help. And, of course, Eric has heard of Alan Grant and knows who he is. And um, Although, and there's a weird bit of dialogue where they talk about uh, Alan is wondering, no, oh, did InGen leave uh, weapons behind? And Eric's like, no, there's no weapons except for these gas grenades, and I just used the last one. And <laughs> I was like, I think that's doubtful. Even if this uh, Isla Sorna, the Island Bee of Jurassic Park, wasn't the main island? You think InGen, while it was in production, would have had a weapons storage place somewhere?
1: Well, that yeah, this is the thing: because they they left all this food, survival equipment, and biomedical super technology behind, but they took all the guns. That does seem weird. You think you'd think that there'd be like a few extra flares or or, like, stun guns or net launchers or, or something, or even stuff that he could have improvised some weapons out of.
0: Yeah, I think it's something where they uh, they just have to kind of up the stakes and make the characters feel like they're in danger. Although you never really do. I mean, you these Jurassic Park movies don't really have depressing, dark endings where characters are dying constantly. But the movie, if nothing else, keeps the plot moving along because within uh, not much time, Eric gets reunited with his family. And uh, in it, you have a weird comic relief scene that doesn't quite work where the uh, his father, uh, Paul, uh, played by William H. Macy, of course, had a huge satellite phone with them on the island, but at some point, the Spinosaurus ate the satellite phone. So you hear the ringtone, but you don't hear the Spinosaurus stomping around. And they kind of build suspense off of that, which doesn't quite... It kind of works, but it's very silly at the same time. It's like, well, wouldn't you hear this several ton... uh, this very heavy, huge dinosaur stomping around over the sound of a, a cell phone ring buried within his many stomachs?
1: Yeah, like it's constantly, like whenever you see it on screen, it's constantly stomping and constantly you know, uh, howling, uh-huh. but it doesn't, it's not on camera, um, but the, but that satellite phone, he bought a high quality satellite phone, not only can it function perfectly well while inside the stomach of a dinosaur, it has a ringtone so loud you can hear it when it's in the stomach of the dinosaur. I can only imagine how horrible it must be to to go see a movie with him in the theater and in the middle of the movie... (laughs) Whatever the ringtone is, just blaring through the theater.
0: I think it's like... Sorry, I I had the thing set for dinosaur. But, uh, you know, with the phone, cell phones aren't an issue in the movie, which is a bit strange. This came out in 2001, but cell phones are more common then. But you could use the excuse, if they had cell phones, I don't think they'd get reception on this remote island off the coast of uh, Costa Rica.
1: Well, the satellite phone, you probably would, although what strikes well, right, me exactly. is that the airplane would have had a radio that they could have used to send out an SOS.
0: Even when the airplane um, crashed on the tree and kind of split in two? Oh, yeah, it would have, it would have battery life. There's still a battery backup, huh? That's why they have yeah. those black boxes. Yeah, yeah you know, it's, why it's sort, of a, things, it's it's sort of a survival
1: thing. You know, there there would have been, and uh, and and in fact, uh, I mean, admittedly, you know, it's, I guess certain certain you know countries wouldn't have the same like aviation safety regulations. But if it was, uh, but I know on uh, I know on uh, American jets where there's a possibility of a water landing, you're supposed to have like an emergency life raft on board, and most of the emergency life rafts come with this little this little transmitter that just sends and then you just turn it on and it just sends a clicking sos so people can find you
2: our sponsor on SQLCast two and friends today is podcorn let's talk a little bit about them hi this is matt bradley shirky host of the SQLCast two and friends podcast and i just want to tell you about a, a real fun personal experience i had using podcorn podcorn it's a unique online marketplace that connects podcasters to amazing podcast sponsorship Opportunities ranging from host read ads to topical discussions and interview segments. And uh, so why would this be interesting? Well, this is a podcast, right? Sequel Cast 2, it's a podcast. And if you're listening to it, I bet you have an idea for a podcast yourself. And uh, and when you get to making one, or maybe you already have one, you you really need to think about getting uh, getting a sponsor. Because podcasting is a hobby. You know, it's, it's not cheap. Any, any money you can get to wet the beak a little, as uh, Thrasher likes to say. Uh, would, would help greatly and so with podcorn there's no middleman podcasters of all size shapes and sizes can uh, browse and choose opportunities on the platform set their own rates really easy to use you don't have to give up any rights to your podcast and uh podcorn supports you there every step of the way in fact initially i was unsure if uh this podcast was like a big enough one to even be on their platform and i got a response right away from their uh technical support, really nice, really uh, we had a good sort of conversation clearing up any confusion I had with them and I'm sure uh, they would do the same to you they just want to give podcasters transparency and creative freedom and I think that it's easy to use, you're not going blindly to a site, emailing them and going oh hey hey, sir, hey miss, can I go and uh, uh, would you like to sponsor my podcast Uh, you know, if you do that, no place is going to get back to you, especially if you don't have that much of an audience but you know podcorn they take uh they're very open they want to help you out so uh i would highly recommend them so you can click the link in the show notes to sign up to podcorn and start browsing sponsorship opportunities for your podcast today thanks and uh, now we go back to our show
1: but they didn't think about that like you think you think at least one of the mercenaries would go wait a minute the radio
0: Yeah, I don't know. They just sort of got to keep things moving. They found the kid. Now they got to find a way uh, off an island. Um, early in the film, something we forgot to talk about is they ran across a bunch of raptor eggs. And it turns out Alan Grant's uh, protege Billy, stole some raptor eggs in his backpack and is going to sell them to some third party that's going to give him a bunch of money. And you think Alan Grant would destroy the eggs or f- try to be active about it, but instead he's kind of like a, a wimp and is like, you're no worse than the people that made this island. So he just sort of scolds them, but he doesn't do anything with the eggs in the guy's backpack. But yeah, in, the mean, think... in the meantime, because they have these uh, raptor eggs in the backpack, the dinosaurs are more attracted to them. They can smell the eggs.
1: Well, about, about the eggs, like, like, like Grant, I, I don't buy him just leaving the eggs in the backpack. Like, at the, at the most, he could smash them uh, or eat them. Uh, not that I think he 'd do that i think I think he'd be like I think he would feel weirded out uh, eat, eat, killing a di- killing or eating a, d- a dinosaur, um, but at the same time, he could have just taken them out of the backpack and left them
0: yeah, or stomped on them or do you know something to ensure there's no way those eggs would get off
1: or that they could or that they could be used to track them down.
0: maybe he was just naive and thought his prodigy Billy would have a change of heart. So he left them in the
1: backpack as a test.
0: Yeah, as a test. (laughs) You know, people who do that
1: are uh, jackasses. Yeah. People who do, like, these inexplicable things and then go, well, that was a test. Which, although half the time I don't think it's really a test, I think they're just trying to save face.
0: Huh. Okay. That could be. Uh, I mean, so back to Jurassic Park... Three, after he berates Billy. Um, you have a climactic scene kind of in the aviary, as you mentioned earlier, Thresher, with the uh, the pterodactyl. Did you get to see any of this scene? Yeah, I mean, it's it's it's
1: a pretty cool scene, but it does have one glaring flaw, and that's that... But then a uh, the
0: pterodactyl walking on a bridge looks stupid? Well,
1: yeah, they, <laughs> they are meant to fly. They look yeah, really I mean, awkward anytime they try to walk... <laughs> But the other thing is, 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 is to the best of my knowledge, I think they eat fish. They would have no interest in in humans as as prey.
0: Yeah, because they they take some of the humans up there in their mouth, and you get sort of uh, an action scene with the pterodactyls before they get away on... uh, And as they're up around this aviary area, they see a part where there is a boat, which is their next big destination to go to to presumably go to the beach where they can do something and find uh, the, uh, you know, get rescued, get off the island somehow. So, right, and uh, you do get a big pterodactyl scene, and it's it's pretty cool. But I wish it would have gone on for longer. Like, I don't know, it seems like they have they're, they so want to get to the end of this film and keep things going. I mean, the the length of this film is 94 minutes, which is a good half hour shorter, I think, than uh, either of the first two films. Yes. And you, and you factor in, oh, maybe, what, like seven, eight minutes worth of credits at the end? Like, this is a <laughs> short movie, and there's nothing to be said for economy, but they run through these action scenes so fast, I wish they would have spent a bit more time. Although I enjoy the action that's here, I mean, what do you think of so far of Jurassic Park three compared to uh, the Lost World Jurassic Park, the second film? Um,
1: I think I think overall I'm, I'm more attracted to the Lost World only because the, the Lost World has a little bit more heart, a little bit more ingenuity. This film, it's just more dinosaurs and uh, add a Spinosaur. Yeah. It's just, it's sort of like, it's more, more, more. There's, there's not much, there, there's a lot of, like, they, they mastered the how, but they didn't master the why. <laughs> that
0: sounds like something Ian Malcolm himself would have said. Uh, so after this, you get a big scene on the, in the raft, where they're kind of being chased down the river, kind of have a showdown with the Spinosaurus, but before all that, they pass piles of uh, Spinosaurus shit and they hear the satellite phone, and they manage to rescue. Still, somehow, this satellite phone is fully functioning. But in the middle of the uh, pterodactyl battle, Billy gets taken off, uh, and you see him kind of getting stabbed in the water, and it's uh, presumed that he's dead at this point in the film. So you think, oh, he got his just desserts, but uh, you have to watch more of the film to see what happens with him, as we'll discuss in a little bit. Um... So I mean I mean that this phone would still be working after being shit out by a Spinosaurus stretches uh credibility, but on the other hand, like how else are they gonna get off this fucking island?
1: Well, they could build a signal they could like a boat could just so happen to pass by, it's already been established that boats do come near the island. They could very yeah. easily they could very easily, you know, set up a signal fire or, you know, use use that damn flare gun that they have. Um <sighs> I mean, admittedly they have to wait for a boat uh, but I can't see why they can't coincidentally see a boat at the last possible minute um, but yeah. yeah I guess
0: like that that's like it, it's a bit convenient that the phone when works when they splurged
1: on the plane and the mercenaries they must have splurged on a waterproof super phone
0: yeah it must have been a top of the line several thousand dollar phone he was renting at the time or maybe he owned it for his business who knows Uh, for his plumbing business. You need a satellite phone. But you go along with all this, and it's interesting, uh, Alan Grant decides to call uh, Laura Dern, or sorry, what's her name? What's the character's name uh, that Laura Dern plays? (laughs) Shit. Uh, They always do this. I just remember the actor's name. I I don't even know. (laughs) Okay, so so Alan Grant calls the broad from the first film, but her son answers, who's like five years old, and he can't find the mom, and he stops to watch a clip of Barney, the purple dinosaur, on the TV. Mm, which, at time. the time, was even a very dated ref, dated uh, reference. By 2001, I don't think Barney was at, at its height. Oh, no, the height of
1: Barney had long passed.
0: Mm-hmm. But it, it, it's, it's a stupid joke, if a bit obvious. But what's funny is he makes the call, and... Um, you know, Laura Dern doesn't get to the phone in time, and then she asks, well, who are you talking to? And he sta- the, the little kid starts making dinosaur noises. And she's able to put the pieces together, and uh, we'll talk about the climax of the film when we get there, but um, that, that's one of the least satisfying things about this film. Um, so, the face-off against the Spinosaurus, uh, what did you think about that, Thrasher? Uh, it was...
1: It was actually like I love the idea of, of the the use of the lake and the, and the people trapped in the cages. I thought that was I thought that was great, but I didn't like the lighting. You know, after after seeing so much well lit dinosaur action, having that climax in 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 like a storm where all the colors and, and everything get washed out, mm-hmm. it's it seemed really disappointing. It almost seemed like a uh, oh, we're using a vibrator?
0: Uh, you know, I put my vibrator away for this show. Why don't I call the other ones? That was my uh, dryer in the background. We have a, uh-huh. a huge pile of laundry. And this happened. The uh, sequel cast uh, studios in Portland, Oregon happens to be in the same room as a laundry machine. Uh, washer and. Why did I say laundry machine? Washer and dryer. Christ. No, that's okay.
1: <laughs> I call it a clothes washing machine. Okay. Um, and I call the dishwasher a dishwashing machine.
0: Very good. Mm
1: hmm. Uh. uh. I also call the computer the Horseless Abacus.
0: Horseless Abacus. Uh, That's what I call my calculator. But right, I I agree. I think, you know, for all the faults I felt, uh, The Lost World, Jurassic Park, uh, the second film Jurassic Park 2 had, the lighting was very interesting and very nuanced. And I I agree that this sort of climactic scene with the Spinosaurus looks really murky and muddy, and it doesn't help you have a lot of close-ups with uh, kind of a shaky camera sort of muddling what's going on. Although when Alan Grant shoots the flare, that causes a big fire over oil that spilled from the boat. Like, that that's kind of a neat visual. But it's not... It's not quite as satisfying. Like, I don't know what I was expecting, but...
1: Yeah, like, I kind of, like, I almost want to see the Spinosaur... The Spinosaur's been so menacing at that point, I would kind of want to see the Spinosaur go down in flames. Like, literally just... You know, burst into flames. But the other thing is that... The Spinosaurus done a really good job of being tough. I talk about him like he's an actor. Spinosaurus uh, was doing a very good job being tough and and threatening. But in so wait, what's fight- this? We,
2: get,
0: we have a call right now from the Spinosaurus, uh, Mister Spinosaurus. how was it on the set of Jurassic Park Three? Uh, craft the <coughs> serv- craft services was craft services was awful. They uh, they didn't have the bagels they promised. I wanted poppy seed, but all they had was a multigrain. Thank you, Spinosaurus.
1: I would think he would want a bagel with lox because it's it's fish and the spinosaurus uh, supposedly ate a lot of seafood. Uh,
0: that would have been a better joke, but uh, you weren't making it. I was, so it had to be um, sad. Yeah, I thought uh, you were
1: segueing for me. And <laughs> <had> no,
0: <laughs> no, that's what you know. The sequel cast is is about uh, is about nothing but lack of preparation.
2: So,
1: what's uh, that slimer? Bye. <laughs> 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 uh, but the other thing about it is that the, Sp- the Spinosaurus has done a good job being a threat, but it inexplicably becomes very stupid in this fight. It's like, you know, it-, it has people at its mercy, and then it sees somebody waving their arms, and then it just completely abandons the easy prey to go after them.
0: I mean, the Spinosaurus is kind of a threat, but you never get um, as cool of a scene as stuff from the first movie, or even the second movie. That... There should be more people who it could kill. Yes, People you care about, too. I think uh, this movie is so concerned with being uh, fast and efficient, and I I enjoyed that about Jurassic Park 3. I personally prefer this to uh, the second film. Um, Still, it has the problem with the second film. When people die, you don't really care. Even the fucking lawyer in the first film, you kind of got to know a bit as a character, and it was a bit of a payoff when he gets crunched on. Yeah, the audience cheered when I saw it in the theaters. Oh, yeah? (laughs) I think people laughed when I saw it. I don't... uh, I don't have that as good of a memory as you, I suppose, but uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, but with uh, Jurassic Park three, you know, the Spinosaurus, they try to make it bigger than the T Rex, but I don't think I don't think it's better. It's a bigger monster. Uh, I guess I'm glad they picked a different dinosaur. If they would have done a T Rex as the big bad, so to speak, the third time around, that would have been a bit tired. Uh, I think the raptors somehow managed to hold things up pretty well, and it's a pretty neat climax uh, you have in the film with the raptors, where the eggs are still in the backpack, and uh, they uh, pick up something from earlier in the film when Billy... The eggs inexplicably haven't been crushed. Yeah, they haven't been crushed. I mean, that's weird. But they pick up something from earlier in the film where Billy has a uh, a fossilized uh, raptor resonating chamber, where if you blow into it, it sounds like a raptor. And so Alan Grant uses this to kind of distract the raptors, and they very slowly take the eggs out of the backpack, and the raptors kind of take the eggs off and let them be, which uh, is cheesy, but kind of deals with this whole concept of, oh, the raptors are talking to each other and have a form of communication uh, theme that they sort of build throughout the film. Did you get a chance to see those scenes, (laughs) Thrasher? I know. I mean, you get a, didn't haven't had a chance to see the whole film, but um, you got to see some bits and pieces, which is fine.
1: Yeah, as as I mentioned earlier, there there is uh, this film isn't on Netflix, uh, and it's the only video rental place in my city, which was an old blockbuster, closed down. So there was no place for me to go. I had to. I, I don't. Uh, I don't agree with most forms of piracy, so I, I I had to find legal clips, and unfortunately, that wasn't one of the clips I could find.
0: And, um, and you know, speaking of movie rental things for a second, uh. Oh, also,
1: fuck SOPA and fuck PIPA. I, I disagree with a lot of piracy, but I don't agree with that legislation.
0: Very good. Uh, I agree with those statements as well. Um, but with, uh. Do they have, uh, Redbox as something in Kentucky? Uh, yes,
1: we did start getting it. I just haven't looked into it.
0: Uh huh. But, I mean, the, the thing about them, which is, uh,. I think it's a really good value. The Red Box, if uh, listeners don't know, it's a it's a kiosk sort of business in the United States. They're usually in um, like grocery stores or fast food restaurants or places like that, where it's like a dollar, dollar twenty five. I think it is now like a night to rent something, but it's typically only new releases, which can make it very frustrating. But it's nice for an impulse thing if you want to get something new on the go and just pay a dollar or something. It's much cheaper than things like Blockbuster Video or Hollywood Video used to be back in the day. Where to rent a new film uh, on DVD or videotape, it would cost, like, what, like five or six bucks, right?
1: Mm,
0: Yeah. For, like, three days. Yeah, so... Depending on how
1: new the film is. Mm
0: Mm-hmm, yep. Uh, So, I mean, with the... Jurassic Park 3, the final climax of the film, he talks about the Spinosaurus wrapping up, the Velociraptors uh, wrapping up, is it, really frustrating for me. They get to the beach and they see uh, Marines in the helicopters and the Navy uh, storm the beach. A whole, like, several dozen soldiers rescuing Alan Grant and company, all based on this phone call that he made to Laura Dern, that they somehow happened to tell them to come on the exact beachhead of this Big Island to rescue them from. I think it comes off as extremely cheap, and it just made me want to see uh, a battle scene between the uh, the Marines and the dinosaurs. You know, some kind of escape sequence. Yeah,
1: like like you know, bullets flying, claws slashing. You could have had an awesome
0: action oh, I, set. piece. I, I think so, and you wouldn't, and because they're dinosaurs, you don't need much of an excuse to set something like that up. Like even just have a T-Rex stumble its way into the beach or, or in some accompanied with some compies or some ridiculous accompaniment. You know, there's no Dilophosaurus in this film, but there weren't any in the Lost World, were they, either? No, no, they,
1: they were too relegated bad. to the first film. The, yeah. rap, the raptors were the breakout stars, so it was only the raptor and the T-Rex that got much play later on.
2: Right. Uh, I like the
0: Dilophosaurus. The I'm not saying that right. Dilophosaurus. Dilophosaurus, thank you. Uh, this the spitting the acid stuff. Uh, venom. Venom, yes. The the black tar looking venom. They could have done something with that in the sequels, but they never did for whatever reason. Uh, so yeah, this the, the military comes and it's... We're all rescued! And they all go off in a helicopter, and in the distance you see uh, pterodactyls kind of flying away back towards... I'm gonna repeat that after this fucking beeping. Okay, uh, so the Marines rescue them; they all go off in the helicopters, and you uh, uh, you hear a version of the Jurassic Park theme with kind of a human choir in the background backing it up, and not a, tern- a dinosaur choir. Not a dinosaur choir, of course not. And a uh, the pterodactyls go back to the Jurassic Park island and fly into the clouds as the movie ends. It's not a very satisfying ending. At the very least, if they didn't want to do a budget and have the military fight, the U.S. military fight the dinosaurs, uh, they could have at least had Laura Dern on the fucking helicopter welcome Alan Grant and they hug or something. Like, that would have been something satisfying uh, for fans of the franchise. But it just kind of ends on a, on a limp note. Um, so... Uh, Overall, what do you think about Jurassic Park 3, Thrasher, from what you got to watch of it?
1: Well, I, yeah, as, as I said, my statements are qualified by having not seen the entirety of the film. But uh, it's... Like, I I li- I liked a lot of the action, but overall, I got the impression that it was a hollow experience.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, you know, it's a film, I, I think... I uh, I enjoyed it a lot more than I thought I would uh, the pacing I think is much better than in uh, either of the first oh, oh damn yeah. it the pacing is much better in this film than in either of the first two Jurassic Park films uh, you know I'm trying to look in stuff about the video games I, I did play in an arcade a, a light gun game where you got the guns and you're shooting the screen based on Jurassic Park 3 and uh, I remember that's pretty fun but they did ones for the earlier movies as well um, there was a game I always wanted to play that I never did called Jurassic Park 3 Park Builder, uh, that was sort of the Sim oh. City take on Jurassic Park for the Game Boy Advance. Oh, no, that's a cool idea. It is, and you know, later on, on the GameCube in 2001, they kind of released something similar called Universal Studios Theme Park Adventure, which is sort of like a Sim Universal Studios, which, uh, I, I used to like stuff like Roller Coaster Tycoon, I always thought those were fun. So, um that just sounds like it'd be a fun game. I've never played it, but, uh, and as we mentioned on the lost world episode, you know, the most recent Jurassic park game is called Jurassic park, the game. And it's on uh PC, Mac, Xbox, 360, and PS3 released by telltale games. It's kind of a mix between an adventure game with some light action elements. It's been getting poor reviews. I haven't played it. I might check it out when it's cheap. I don't know, but, um, that's the most recent Jurassic park game that's come out. as far as video games go. Uh, So why don't we, um, before we give our thoughts on the Jurassic Park franchise as a whole, let's do our pitch-a-sequel game. where ah, yes. And even though Jurassic Park 4 really is in development, although Spielberg said he's not directing, he's just going to produce it, and the announcements about what it's going to be about are forthcoming, but they haven't said anything official, really. Um, let's pitch our own idea for a sequel of Jurassic Park 4. You know, uh, Jurassic Park 3 came out 11 years ago, uh, this being recorded in uh, January of 2012. So 11 years ago, where do you take the franchise now? Um, I'll start to give you a second to think about things, Thrasher. <laughs> okay. Is that fair? Yeah,
1: yeah that's fair. Okay, I, I, run, I shoot my mouth off a lot on this podcast.
0: Someone oh, that's fine. Uh, with, if I was to pitch a Jurassic Park 4, I don't think you'd do a complete reboot but I do think I would want to go back to that original island from the first film. And somehow, maybe another company buys out InGen and all their, uh, you know, all their property, everything, including the dinosaur DNA and whatever is remaining. And reopens a park on the island. But they want to do it right. They want to make it perfect. But sort of like the first film, to uh, make it appeal to guests and things... They need to have survivors of the original park, that is, you know, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum, and uh, Sam Neill, uh, all those actors, coming back to give their approval to the new and improved Jurassic Park, saying, hey, this is bad before, but these new guys that own InGen, they know what they're doing. And, of course, things go wrong again. So that way, although it's not a remake, you're going back to a familiar territory, but kind of doing a new spin on it. I guess that's not a great idea, now that I verbalized it, but uh, that's what I could come up with. Uh, Thrasher.
1: Well, I I would uh, take the idea that the raptors are intelligent to the to the extreme, where uh, between Jurassic Park three and four, the raptors have built a functioning civilization, have reverse engineered some of the ingen technology left on the island, mm. and have now started building. Have domesticated other dinosaurs and have now started building boats with which they are going to start to, to colonize other islands uh, and, and create their own, their own little raptor empire uh, in that part of the world, and possibly the whole world if they get away with it. Uh, and so uh, in, in this one, uh, when it's discovered that there are intelligent raptors colonizing, uh, colonizing islands, there's kind of two forces. There, there's an international military force that, that's being sent in to wipe the, wipe the raptors out, and then there's another group of well-meaning paleontologist types who are going down there to try to reach some sort of understanding with the raptors and hopefully avoid any kind of uh, massive uh, conflict. But, of course, we do get to see a lot of conflict, including raptors riding spinosaurs, uh, <laughs> which are now armor-plated because the raptors have learned how to forge, how to work metal. And, uh, and, and it's just great. We have like, the raptors using medieval tactics, uh, against the military, so it's almost like the Ewoks, uh, e- the Ewoks from Endor, going after the Empire, only much more bloodier. And and the Raptors will eat the fallen. Now, uh,
0: with and it with ends, the Raptors in your pitch, they pardon? wouldn't speak. With the Raptors in your pitch, they wouldn't speak English, would they? Would there be subtitles or anything? Uh, there
1: there would there would
0: be a raptor.
1: Uh, well, uh, they would speak, and you would hear them like chirping and growling, and clearly uh-huh. using an articulated speech. Uh, but it would never be subtitles you would tell from body posture and action the intentions there however would be a raptor who did know how to speak english who would act as this creepy go between between the main between the main raptor and and uh and the humans uh, and because i love uh, because i love uh the original land of the lost uh, uh his it, both the, the, land, the land of the lost and larry niven the raptor's name translated literally into English would be speaker to food. Hmm. And, and the way the film, the film ends with the chilling, with sort of a chilling hint that we could be seeing the dawn of a planet of the dinosaurs.
0: I see. Okay. Pretty interesting. Uh, mm-hmm. So let's, uh, why don't you say we go into our thoughts on the uh, Jurassic Park trilogy as a whole? No problem. Uh, as a whole, uh, this trilogy of films uh, holds up better than uh, I expected. I think uh, but uh, beginning with the first film, Jurassic Park, I would give that four and a half out of five stars. I think it, it's almost perfect. It, it takes a while to get started, although a lot of the setup is pretty entertaining. I think uh, some of the kids are kind of annoying, which is kind of the point. But, uh, it's just a great, uh, truly a classic film. A wonderful John Williams score. I have very little to complain about, uh, other than it's not quite perfect. It doesn't quite hit all my buttons. Uh, Thrasher,
1: I would say Jurassic Park a five star in a theater, four and a half on on home video or DVD. It really is. It really is a great movie. It's Spielberg in full blockbuster mode, and the the stuff they do with the dinosaurs in the film is amazing.
0: Hmm. Uh, the second film, Jurassic Park, The Lost World, I think suffers from major pacing issues, too many characters, too uh, complicated of a plot, or at least they don't know where to take those characters in an entertaining fashion. I would give this movie uh, two and a half stars out of five. I enjoyed the uh, some of the T-Rex um, Godzilla spoofing stuff at the end, but mm, and the bit with the truck came's over the cliff. But uh, not not so much else. Uh, two and a half out of five for me. Uh, I'll I'll give Lost World three stars. Uh, okay. I,
1: I enjoyed it enough in the theater. I will give it three stars. It's 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 it is inconsistent, but it, it is also very fun.
0: Uh, Jurassic Park three, I think, returns more to the uh, to the tone and the feel and the fun of the original. I would give it a three and a half out of five. Um, hmm. Although the, the storyline and the characters aren't as involved, it's just about the action with the dinosaurs and has a lot of really fun uh, set pieces, even if it falters a bit at the end.
1: Uh, from what I've seen, I would give it uh, maybe two and three quarters.
0: Okay. Fair enough. And uh, overall, the Jurassic Park uh, trilogy... I think I would give, I, you know, and we're not basing these overall trilogy things on a mathematical average of all three films, um, but just sort of on a gut reaction. Overall, I think I would give it. Um, gee, I, I'd say like you know like a, a three and a half out of five stars. I don't think it's the best trilogy out there. I think it's better than a lot of other stuff. Uh, certainly, there's not much you can compare it to except for the Roger Corman uh, Carnosaur quadrilogy.
1: Yeah, I guess overall as a trilogy, I'd say I'd give it a three, only because it was never meant to be a trilogy. Trilogy, it just sort mm. of happened that way, right? And e- each sequel feels a a bit more tacked on than the last, and that that really does drag the whole body of work down. I would I would probably you know s- stick stick with the original for a good movie and just see the rest for fun once.
0: I uh, yeah, no, I think that's fair. So I mean, with. Uh... So we've wrapped up Jurassic Park here in the sequel cast, and uh, the next few weeks we're going to be covering the uh, trilogy, uh, an animated trilogy. We haven't done animation on the sequel cast since the uh, very loose uh, animated Lord of the Rings trilogy we did back in the, might have been episode like 10 through 12 or something. I don't know, you can look on the website, sequelcast.com, or... uh, you can also learn more about Sequel Cast If you go to Facebook, look up SequelCast. We've got a page on there with a lot of links to movie trailers and episodes and things. And uh, we got a blog over at SequelCast.blogspot.com where uh, Thrasher and I write about various films, not necessarily films that we talk about on the show. And um, if you go to Stitcher.com, that's S-T-I-T-C-H-E-R.com slash SequelCast, you can... Uh, download the uh, Stitcher app for your phone or, uh, you know, load it up on your uh, desktop computer. And what Stitcher is, is it's an app for your iPhone or Android phone or Blackberry or, or even your computer or what have you, where you can listen to a lot of your favorite podcasts streaming. So instead of waiting for so much time to download an episode before you go to work or whatever, you can just stream it live right there on your phone or iPod Touch or whatever, and it's just a really convenient way to uh, listen to the sequel cast. And if you uh, sign up with the Stitcher at stitcher.com slash Sequelcast, you have the chance to uh, possibly win $100. US. So there you go. Listen to us on Stitcher. And uh, I'll give a shout-out again to uh, Mark with the C, who wrote and produced our new theme song. Uh, his website is at markwiththeC, that's M-A-R-C-W-I-T-H-A-C uh dot band is where you can find his music or if you just go to mark with com, you can find out more about him there as well he happened to be a guest in our uh, shock treatment episode was of the a one fantastic about, episode exactly uh the one about the sequel to rocky horror pictures show um but yeah so we'll be going back to animation and what is it that we'll be covering thresher we will be covering, and uh, there actually probably are uh, a lot of people who don't know this is a trilogy, we will be
1: covering the Disney-Aladdin trilogy.
0: Right, and uh, you know, two of those of which was direct-to-video. The first of which, uh, Aladdin Return of Jafar, or Revenge of Jafar, I guess is what it's called, um, was the first direct-to-video sequel Disney ever did, and they've done several since then, but that one was the first. They've done too many since then. Uh, <laughs> don't yeah, say that. For like yeah, it. no, I think that's fair. And... Um, and there's also an Aladdin TV show we might touch on a little bit. I've never seen that before, but it was a cartoon. I, I've
1: actually seen quite a, a lot of it. It was it was a surprisingly good show. The the, the characters translated very well to a half-hour adventure format.
0: And among some of the things we'll be talking about, about those uh, the Aladdin animated trilogy, is things like, is the loss of Robin Williams in the second film such a big deal? Where Dan Castellaneta... Is that how you pronounce it, Thrasher? Yep, Kathleen Voice of Homer Simpson. Yeah, the Voice of Homer Simpson. Yes, uh, you know, replaces Robin Williams in the second film and also as the the genie in the.
1: uh, Animated series.
0: Animated series, thank you. You know how that affects things? Um, There's a history of censorship with parts of the first Aladdin uh, film.
1: This is going to be a real meaty series of films for us to for us to chomp down on with our massive uh, raptor teeth. Oh, I've given too much away.
0: Right. <laughs> um, I guess you have know, as we wrap up. Wrap up uh, Jurassic Park. Do you have any last thing you want to add, Thrasher? Uh,
1: going over. I think I've said just about. Um, uh, just about everything I, I care to say about this trilogy, I can only hope that we get... Because even if even C- CGI continues to improve, I can only hope that at some point in the future we get a dinosaur movie as amazing as Jurassic Park. I don't care whether it's based on the Dinotopia books, I don't care whether it's, it's something completely original... But I would love to see... But actually, well, actually, more importantly, I would love to see a dinosaur film where the dinosaurs were portrayed very, very accurately. Jurassic Park did take a lot of liberties with the way the dinosaurs were portrayed, and they were all to make the films of more exciting, more action adventure But I would love to, to see a film that cleaves as close as possible to paleontology and dinosaurs as, as we know them today, from so the best information we have. I think that would be truly amazing.
0: You know, talking about dinosaurs reminds me of a movie I haven't seen since it came out in the theaters. It was a uh, a Disney CG cartoon simply called Dinosaur.
2: Oh, yeah.
0: Where um, the beginning, it came out in 2000, the beginning is pretty interesting, where you have no dialogue at all with dinosaurs uh, facing these meteorites coming towards them. And after a very interesting beginning... It sort of transitions to the typical all the, all the dinosaurs talk and have different voices, and they were trying to get away from the evil, uh, bad guy. It, it becomes a very standard cartoon pretty quickly. I felt,
1: yeah, that was that was a real failing, especially since the trailer, the trailer for that movie is is a true work of art. It tells a complete story, and it and the dinosaurs look amazing. Like when, when I the trailer makes you think that you're going to see a drama all about dinosaurs with no dialogue whatsoever, which I would love to see, but instead we got the love monkey.
0: Yeah, I guess uh, thinking about dinosaurs too, the other thing that comes to mind is the uh, Land Before Time, which was a cartoon uh, originally directed by Don Bluth
1: which had lots of non-Don Bluth-directed sequels. Apparently
0: 13 sequels altogether. Uh, and I uh, I will say this right now. We are not going to cover 13 Land Before Time movies ever on the sequel cast.
1: They're not... The sequels aren't good.
0: Um, for shits and giggles, I could read off the titles of all those sequels. You know, yes, please. To, to, to sign us off on Jurassic Park. So here is a lot of the release dates... Uh, and, and Land Before Time, I had a uh, the same girlfriend throughout uh, most, uh, ha- at least half of high school, I guess, the latter half. And she loved dinosaurs and was big into Land Before Time. And uh, she had most of these movies on videotape. And I asked her, why do you keep on getting these? These aren't any good. And she's like, well, I know, but I'm just, uh, I feel loyal as a fan to the series. So here we go. I'm going to read off the Land Before Time titles. Land Before Time came out in 1988. Six years later, you had Land Before Time 2, The Great Valley Adventure, followed in uh, 95 by Land Before Time 3, The Time of the Great Giving. That sounds like a
1: holiday special.
0: It does. Uh, In 1996, you get the Land Before Time, Journey Through the Mist. 97 brings you Land Before Time 5, The Mysterious Island.
1: No relation to the H.G. Wells novel.
0: Nope. Uh, 98 comes out with Land Before Time 6, The Secret of Soros Rock. Uh, They take a two-year break uh, to come out with Land Before Time 7, The Stone of Cold Fire. Which I presume is about
1: radiation sickness?
0: uh, Maybe. I have no idea. 2001, (laughs) Land Before Time 8, Big Freeze.
1: Which you think would kill them all off, but there's still more to
0: come. Yeah, Yeah, there's still a bit more to come. 2002, Land Before Time 9, Journey to Big Water. So from Big Freeze to Big Water, did they melt the Big Freeze to create Big Water?
1: Well, they were already at that valley. Like, I, Did the valley get fucked up and then they had to go to the ocean?
0: Uh, good question. 2003, Land Before Time, 10. The Great Long Neck Migration. Uh, 2004, Land Before Time, 11. Oh boy. Evasion of the Tiny Sauruses. I was
1: going to make a joke related to the Long Neck Migration about beer, but Invasion of the Tiny Sauruses just... Made me so bitter that As I could not imagine, make
0: it As you. Imagine tiny sources or tiny dinosaurs. Uh, two years later in 2006, Land Before Time 12, The Great Day of the Flyers. Um, all right. And uh, the most recent one to date, Land Before Time 13, The Wisdom of Friends. Ugh. Oh my god, I'm looking at the cover for that one. Ugh jeez (laughs) yeah they've they've, like two
1: characters we don't give a shit about oh and littlefoot's there
0: (laughs) oh my goodness it's uh
1: i like that every every word is capitalized on the quote on the cover all kids will enjoy this adventure
0: but we look at the designs on that cover for that movie and they just look so different and uglier Well, that's we really
1: know and now I'm thinking we might want to do a special episode about the Land Before Time, because there's a lot to be said about it, but one of the things about it is Don Bluth has a way of making things that are both ugly and beautiful at the same time. Like in The Secret of Nim, those rats are real rats. They are fucking hideous. Yeah. But also like handsome and noble at the exact same time. And in Land Before Time, the dinosaurs look truly monstrous and fierce, every single one of them. But they are so human and adorable at the same time. And once you have Don Blue's artistry removed from the film, but you still have those character designs, they, they come off so grotesque.
0: Oh, and, and, and to make a Jurassic Park connection, you know, the original Land Before Time was also produced by Steven Spielberg and George Lucas. Yep. Uh, which is interesting. You know, after they did American Tail... Um, but Eric Spielberg was a producer in American Tale, and I'm not sure if Lucas had anything to do with that. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, I-, I recall when I was a kid, you could go to Pizza Hut and get Land Before Time uh, toys. I think they were puppets yeah, they or something. Yeah, puppets. I had a
1: Petri and a Ducky,
0: I think. I had one of those. I don't quite remember. But, uh, yeah. So, okay, so we talked about Jurassic Park 3 in the show and a little bit about Land Before Time for the hell of it, because it deals with dinosaurs. I think this is a good note to wrap things up on, but uh, tune in next week on the sequel cast when we start talking about the Aladdin trilogy with the first film in the trilogy, not surprisingly called Aladdin.
1: (laughs) Very appropriate title. Oh, no one else is going to be great as I've read the Arabian Nights, So we can, we can actually compare it to the source material as well.
0: Cool. Um, I don't think I've ever read uh, any of those stories. But I do it's recall.
1: I hardly recommend the Sir Richard Burton translation.
0: Okay, uh, I do recall in the '90s that they had a um, a direct for TV movie uh, of Arabian Nights where they retell Aladdin in live action with John Leguizamo as the genie. He'd be pretty cool in that
1: role, I think. He bring a certain Yule Brynner quality to it.
0: Yeah, I think that the tone of that was a bit more serious, and it was. Um, Directed by Steve Barron, who a—I did a brief interview with on the Ninja Turtles episode of the sequel cast, because he directed that. Oh, wait. No, he did not direct that. I'm. S- <laughs> no, he did direct that. Haha. Yeah, he directed it in uh, 2000. So. Okay. Well, um, yeah, that wraps it up for this show of the sequel cast. Uh, this is Matt.
1: And this is Thrasher.
0: Sane. It's not a T-Rex. It's something bigger. Very good. All right.